Good morning. I'm Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the Happy New Year, January 2nd edition of Ask a Leader. Today, my guest for the larger share of the hour, she'll be Ian Creason. She'll talk about local public works, public policy, public advocacy, and public office aspirations. We'll be right back. All right, let's get this show a rolling. Welcome back. My guest for the whole hour is Ayn Creation. She is an Orange County policy advocate with Climate Action Campaign, a watchdog group that we've covered many times on the show. Ayn focuses on advancing equity and justice in the region. We're zeroing in on how, well, we're not going to zero in. We're going to scope a whole lot of different realms. As I said, in the local public works, we're going to take a look under the hood with this infrastructure and the Irvine City Council's policy because stuff happens, ladies and gentlemen, on city councils. And that's why I'm going to talk. We hope we can slot in references to what's going on down ballot on our primary election that it deals with the, the city and what happens in the November elections, it's down mouth. So city councils matter. And Ian's going to be talking about that. Prior to environmental advocacy pursuits and joining climate action campaign, Ian worked corporate communications and public relations. She posted successes in helping codify the city of Irvine's historic organic landscaping policy. We're going to really upload this, the local dirt, uh, hopefully. And she's helped build a coalition of support to create the Irvine-led Orange County Power Authority. That's also on the menu today, which launched December 2020. It's it's three-plus years ago. She's as well helped draft and build support of the city of Irvine's Achieves Climate Resolution, which made Irvine the first city in Southern California and the third in the state to commit to 2030 zero carbon goals. We're going to talk about that, too, in line with the most recent climate science. She's on hold to appear, well, she's always at the city council meeting. She appears multiple times each time. And so we're going to talk about that. Her work's been noticed, yes, indeed, by the Orange County Register, which named Ian as one of Orange County's 125 most influential people of 2023 between Alicia Cox, Huntington Beach entrepreneur, pride event promoter, and Ane Della Donna, a founder of Innocence OC at the UCI Law School and dedicated to reversing the wrongful condition. So Ayn is cited for her leading the Orange County chapter of Climate Action Campaign, and they're giving her this accolade. And and she's gauged how local cities and the county are doing when it comes to plans for long-term climate action. We've talked about that in previous shows. And we'll hear about all this now. She comes to us live today from Irvine, Welcome back to Ask a Leader, Ian Creason. Hi, Claudia. Thank you so much. Great to be with you. Well, it's going to be sweeping, ladies and gentlemen. It may, it was maybe the casual intent, and then it got more and more ramped up. So let's explore current conduct and policy, because they're, they're kind of mesh, of the Irvine City Council. Mm-hmm. The last meeting for the year was on December 12th. The next ones are... Just giving everybody a heads up because you can all, you can watch them in your pajamas at home. You can watch it all or, and finish off your dinner or make your dinner and watch it because it, that's how long they will run. But the next mm-hmm. meetings are January 9, that's next Tuesday, and January 23rd. The most salient environmental policy issues that the city has jurisdiction over that I would like to push all over the place, Ian, with is the Orange County Power Authority warehouses mm-hmm. and single-use plastics so let's start with ocpa i got i and i you may not know this but i got extra smart on renewable policy and the sort of the sh- there's a shell game and i think you know about those but the washington mm-hmm. post and the center for investigative reporting claim that renewable energy credits or renewable energy certificates known as they're called RECs if you're hearing people whisper about that on the streets 
where uh, there's growing evidence that a big proportion of reported carbon emission reductions are not real. And they're quoting Anders Bjorn, uh, an author of a study done at the Technical University of Denmark. We have to go to Denmark to talk about RX over here. But I, it's the transparency and how much OCPA is relying on things like renewable energy certificates. Let's give you yeah. that plate. Yes, a great point, and thank you for the kind introduction, Claudia. Um, yes, OCPA definitely is it's necessary that it implement you know, real, clean, renewable energy. Um, just a bit of background on that climate action campaign where I'm the Orange County Policy Director, worked for five years to bring OCPA to life, and then we watchdogged it through its infancy. And we did that because we know that CCE, Community Choice Energy, is critical to meeting climate goals. Um, especially in California, it's our biggest tool that we have um, to, for replacing dirty grid energy with clean energy and then bringing energy choice and resilience to a community. So, um, so that's why we have been so, um, so focused on it. And in, but in response to um, this issue, this important issue around renewable energy credits, um, I will say that this is something that we drew attention to early on when OCPA's power mix was first being contemplated and um, they first started disclosing some of those contracts, um, that's something that we raised the flag on, is that it's, it's extremely important that energy be created and purchased locally because um, this is what is going to fuel our local green economy, green jobs, and, and the future that we all want. And unfortunately, with renewable energy credits, it's this um, it's kind of like a certificate that's attached to the energy that you might use or that's sold. Um, but it's easy for it to become detached from the energy. And then for so if you're buying renewable energy credits or your utility is, um, it's hard to know that it's actually clean and green. It's really so, um, hard to know. I mean, it's 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 like yeah. people who are, you know, paid well are it to really, for them even to keep track of that or to be honest about it, it's all, it is such a shell game. So well, I'm just holding on to my, uh, my clipboard and my checkbook about every time I hear the renewable energy and zero car uh, net, net carbon reduction and that kind of a thing. So how, right. how do well, we get any idea? How, how do we know accounting is worth something to us that are trying to be earnest in the carbon emission or greenhouse gas emission reductions? Well, I will say that the California Energy Commission tightly regulates, um, you know, the greenness of energy and requires pretty stringent reporting by energy providers in the state. And so um, Orange County Power Authority released its power content label or the, the Energy Commission actually released all the power content labels for all the energy providers in the state. And um, what that showed was that OCPA's power mix is extremely clean and is indeed as clean as anyone might expect. And that's also why the National Renewable Energy Laboratory um, has recognized OCPA as one of the top U.S. green power providers in the United States um, as of its 2022 utility green pricing program. So it's important to look under the hood and to you know, check the receipts and everything on, right. on these kinds of initiatives. But we have confidence based on what we know are stringent standards from the California Energy Commission and National Renewable Energy Laboratories about, about what OCPA is doing. So we are really happy to report that OCPA, in our view, is fully launched and thriving. They have made comprehensive reforms to establish what we feel confident is operational excellence and to earn the public's trust. Um, and so we know, and we are actively working with other cities to uh, hopefully get them on board to join OCPA this year. Um, and that will help bring choice to more families. It's very important that um, a community choice energy program also provide lower rates than the um, investor-owned local utility. And so that is very much happening. Um, the CPUC has a rate comparison tool on their website where anyone can compare the rates of their local community choice energy program with um, their investor-owned utility. And as of right now, what it shows is that an average customer would save $2 a month um, by being an OCPA customer versus being an SCE customer. And that's not even including all of the societal benefits, of course, of clean energy, the harms that are being avoided. 
So I would encourage anyone to, if they live in Irvine, certainly should be subscribing to OCPA. So the housekeeping, now that's another matter of transparency. So what, as you, in your sort of watchdog capacity, Ayn, can say to the new CEO suite that is running that since I think it was late summer. I'm a little I'm I'm, I'm a little dusty here on some. There's so many trains to watch coming in and out of yeah, the station. Absolutely. So yeah, they um, the previous CEO who was very problematic um, and who we raised the alarm about. Uh, he left the agency in I believe May, and um, Joe Mosca was named interim CEO in I believe it was June. And um, they have been, OCPA has been conducting a public search for a permanent CEO that should be concluding soon. Um, they have been taking in candidates and reviewing them and doing all those things that have to be done. Um, but we said from the beginning it's very important that this be a public process and that, you know, that, that it be an opportunity that a lot of people can, can throw their hats in the ring for and that OCPA get a really uh, world-class sort of leader. Um, so we feel confident that that is happening. The agency that they are contracting with to identify their new CEO is um, is a, a really good one. And so we think that it, it should be happening in January that they should be announcing that permanent CEO. That's um, now. Yeah, it is we're here. now. We're here in January. Yeah, so their, um, their board meeting should be coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, so maybe there'll be an announcement then, maybe sooner. I'm not sure about those details, but it should be coming up soon. But in the interim, Joe Mosca has been doing a good job, I definitely would say, as the CEO. Um, they had, And they have implemented a really uh, comprehensive like recovery plan for the agency addressing all of the issues raised in the various audits. Um, and I will say that the most comprehensive audit was the state audit, uh, which – gave full access to all of the books and all the information at OCPA. And the main finding of the state audit was um, was what was printed on its cover, which was that OCPA um, needed better board oversight. So mostly assigned the issues uh, going on at OCPA to the previous board, which was, you know, Mike Carroll um, was the chair of the board in Irvine and then um, some other other board members, but the new board members that we've had on, especially from Irvine Council Member and UCI Professor Kathleen Traceder, has done an excellent job um, with making reforms and restoring trust at the agency. And Council Member Tammy Kim has also been part of that. And there's a couple other, you know, board members, but it's been really encouraging to see the about face. They've been very transparent with the staff reports, the documentation provided for the various contracts that OCPA is entering into, the rates you know, decision-making process, doing that in a way that is consistent with best practice. So um, they are already providing benefits to the community. There are already rebate programs, you know, that you can, that subscribers can take advantage of on their website to lower their energy use, to speed their transition to clean energy, things like, you know, you can transition your um, outdoor lawn equipment or get a, one of those cool thermostats that can help you manage your energy use when you're away from home. And so those things are provided, you know, at an extreme discount, and that's because of the OC Power Authority. And unfortunately, otherwise, I mean, we have to be clear about what the alternative is, um, and that would be the investor-owned utility, SoCal Edison. And SoCal Edison has will never meet the community's needs for clean energy choice the, OC, the way the OCPA will. We know that. Uh, SoCal Edison has paid a shareholder dividend or done a stock split every quarter since 1911. So, yes, that is more than 100 years. And that is something that Orange County families have to pay for. Um, I mean, it's great for their shareholders, but um, their interest as a for-profit utility with a dividend mandate, I mean, they exist to provide money for their shareholders. Um, and investor-owned utilities always have higher rates than publicly owned utilities or even community choice energy programs. We did, um, as part of another project, we looked at all the electricity rates of all the electricity providers in um, SoCal gas territory. And what we found was that some of the municipal electricity providers had rates as much as a third of those of SoCal Edison. So it just shows that if, if you're not being, if your electricity is not being provided by a for-profit 
organization that, you know, has, has this motivation to ensure that it profits and it's passing on that profit to its shareholders and executives, that you can provide real savings to residents. And so OCPA is our, our path to do that in Orange County. Uh, I have questions about yeah. the easy sort of thumbnail for consumers, ratepayers to go and check out the state audit and the uh, who's appointed to the Cal Energy Commission. I'll put that in a note that I and she can email me those and I'll put those links in the podcast summary, but we have much to cover. And so yeah. we're getting this uh, at face value, this excellent bill of health and there's, I, but I want to um, give everybody a chance to know an easy way they can follow on those uh, those other uh, where those sources are. If you've just joined us, my guest for the full hours, Ayn Creation, as she says, it, she's the policy director for the Orange County uh, Climate Action here, and we're doing a bit of an uh, Irvine City Council review and a, a look ahead here on this New Year's January today. So let's move on to the new thing that rattles my cage: the warehouses that are being permitted, I'm going to put that way because it's really, it's a sort of a, I think it's a special land use consideration. The package that all of you want delivered pronto is also pressure to bring a warehouse closer to your home. That's, there's a direct connection, ladies and gentlemen. Irvine Planning Commission tried to address this truck traffic 24 hours a day, light and noise, pollution land issue issue last year but it was reversed by the city council's two to three vote against the ordinance what uh is climate action folks what are you all doing about the warehouse locations in and around irvine because you are an irvine resident and this is your situation too yeah definitely i will say that climate action campaign has not um, we haven't engaged on this issue specifically, but I will say that, you know, we always want to be very careful about locating warehouses and industrial facilities in environmental justice communities. And I, I believe that these warehouses are slated to be um, permitted in the Irvine Business Complex area which does bear a disproportionate pollution burden and so is an environmental justice community according to CalEPA's EnviroScreen tool. Um, so that would be of concern. It's also home to yeah, some of the most diverse communities in Irvine, our highest density of um, Hispanic and, um, and Asian, Asian residents. And so the decision to locate it there is of concern. Um, what we need is, and what Climate Action Campaign advocates for is bikeable, walkable neighborhoods and places, you know, neighborhoods with green spaces. And so that is something that the IBC is definitely lacking. And so with the decision to, to double down and put in more industrial space and, and transportation heavy warehouse space there is very concerning. Um, so, so yeah, I would, without having a comprehensive understanding of the particulars of that issue, that's what I would say, um, but I, would, I could say about the climate action plan in Irvine that that document has been is, – is finally getting some movement. They've been talking about it for seven years now. Um, the climate action campaign has been corresponding with them about their cap. And we still – we saw a draft a few months ago. Um, I don't believe that, that the warehouse issue was addressed in the draft climate action plan that we saw. So what we want to see is – um, you know, city land use decisions being made as part of a climate action plan and a city being very intentional about the impacts of a decision like that. I would also say that Irvine has a real problem with the cost of housing. And so deciding to put in a warehouse space, you know, is something that we want to think about when we have median rents um, now at almost $4,200 a month as of June of last year. Um, that requires a household income of more than $142,000 to afford rent, you know, if it's going to be 30% of your income, which is what it's supposed to be. And so, so Irvine households are really struggling, and, um, and they, they need help, and we need, we need more housing. And we have not been building enough housing. And so I would, I would say that that is something that would, should be a priority 
um, for consideration rather than warehouses. So in terms, it's a zero-sum land use proposition, too. Yeah, I mean, there's only so much land in the city, right? And, I mean, some of it is being redeveloped now or, you know, has been designated for affordable housing. But I, yeah, it's very concerning to see the cost of housing continues to go up and families are really struggling and people are being forced out of, of the city and of the state just because it's, it's outrageous. The median home price in Irvine as of last summer was almost $1.4 million, which requires an annual income of more than $300,000 to afford the mortgage. So who can afford who can afford to live here anymore? It's we need more pathways to home ownership, and we need homes in neighborhoods where people can walk and and bike to get all their needs met and can do that safely. And that is an issue that Climate Action Campaign and I have been really focused on. So you have been in housing. I know it's a bit of an off ramp. I want to keep with the Mm -hmm. environmental element here for the city. Uh, But I don't know if the Climate Action Campaign has been using, going into an information campaign as folks, when you're ordering a rapid delivery package, there's a consequence to that. And I don't know if if consumer options are something that's on your roster. Yeah, it's definitely true that people are ordering online more, um, and that makes it tough for local businesses, unfortunately. Um, It's preferable to have all of the, you know, a resident's needs met in their community so they can go down to their local store, they can shop for their groceries, and um, and they can get all their needs met in their neighborhood. And that is what we would consider a sustainable community. When we have, you know, these long supply chains and, um, you know, these d- a delivery-focused culture um, creates a lot of harms in terms of emissions. Um, it requires, you know, these long-distance shipping. And so we like to see a focus on local food um, production and, uh, that would be a sustainable practice. And then, of course, I mean, consumerism in general is obviously a problem. And so this instant culture of, you know, I get whatever I want whenever I want it, very much um, a human nature thing, right? People like that. But uh, it would be great if people could be more thoughtful. And I know a lot of people are. They they care about, you know, what the impacts are of that kind of thing. So um, I don't know, like, of course, currently a lot of the warehouses are in the Inland Empire, and so if it's true that by citing the warehouse in Irvine that the, the inventory can be kept locally and those transportation distances would be reduced and those emissions impacts, um, maybe it's fair to look at, but I have not reviewed the environmental impact report for that project, so I'm not clear. Um, hopefully, it was well documented, but unfortunately, it seems like a lot of the um, a lot of these reports that I've looked at for Irvine are not necessarily taking a very honest look at what the impacts might be in some cases. Something to watch. If- yeah, and and I'm gonna and I'll run that by when I do all the interviewing for local candidates. They're on the. the- City council candidates are on the November ballot, and I will bring all of that up there. So then the, um, let's see, warehouse, oh, the single-use plastics ordinance that was before the city council last month, there were all the, there are elements that were put into one comprehensive ordinance. Elements were adopted in other municipalities around California, around the country, but this one was an ambitious one to put everything in one place. What was Climate Action Campaign's uh, push behind that ordinance and the the activation pursuant to the, it, w- it was denied, it, w- it was voted down in on the, the city council, that comprehensive single-use plastic ordinance. What's Climate Action Campaign doing in following up. Yeah, that was very disappointing. We advocate for zero waste policies. It's one of our um, key areas that we look at when we're evaluating climate action plans for cities. Um, I mean, plastic is produced using fossil fuels and the production of, of plastic waste and the disposal of it has huge implications, especially for environmental justice communities. Um, it's extremely polluting and 
you know, at every stage of the supply chain there has issues. And so we were very excited to see this draft item brought forward by Councilmember Treceder. We know with the support of of our support, um, we know that UCI CalPERG signed on and helped lead in support of it, and there were a lot of activists on the ground in Irvine who were working in support. So, um, yeah, it was extremely disappointing to see it be uh, basically scuttled. Um, the council said that they would, you know, wanted the staff to continue to do outreach and would come back to it um, at a point undetermined. I don't think there was any data assigned to it, which usually means it's going, you know, in the dustbin or in the circular file. So I don't think that it's going to happen um, with this council. Um, uh, council member Mike Carroll, of course, voted against it. Um, a lot of corporate interests came out against it. Um, you had the plastic water bottle industry, the the grocers industry, um, and a number of like the, the Coca-Cola bottlers. Um, these companies that are making money by producing these things is a tale as old as time. Company makes money producing environmental harms. Company likes making money. Company fights to ensure they can continue making money doing exactly what they've always been doing. So, but that doesn't serve, you know, the public interest, all those, those harms are, you know, externalized into the environment and we get to pay for them with our health and our oceans being clogged with trash, um, our parks, it's everywhere. So yeah, it was a big disappointment and we hope that they will reconsider and at least create a plan to reach zero waste. Um, I know that the, I, as chair of the Sustainability Commission, I voted in support of the item. The, the Sustainability Commission voted in favor of it. Um, and I know that the implementation was not expected to begin until, for several years. It was not going to go into effect immediately. There was plenty of time to, uh, for the city to do additional outreach and for the retailers and everybody to get on board with it. So, but with notwithstanding that, uh, the council said no. So very disappointing to see, you know, just doubling down, continuing business as usual. We all know that our oceans are, there's more, you know, we're on track to have more plastic than fish in the ocean. So, well, so something needs to be I, done. And I want to get to two salient details here is that, mm -hmm. one, I know Climate Action Campaign affiliates were getting stuff that all of us were getting from the plastic, um, the, the beverage, we'll call them just entities. I'm just going to, the enterprises. And yeah. there, so there was, so you saw what was going on. So I don't know if the Climate Action Campaign was getting in front of some of that influence wielding and saying to directly to council members, you know, he, here's, he, refuting those points, that was, that was one part, you know, how you could, you were dealing with that. And the other was the complete reversal of the council's uh, involvement in reducing the single-use waste was to say it's not on the producer. It's the produce. It's not producer responsibility. It's consumer responsibility, which is sort of where all the major grassroots, the 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 good neighbor kinds of nonprofits are trying to say this is a corporate responsibility to turn this spigot of waste off. And the council reversed it and said, you know, it's on the household to take care of, which is like a, an infinitesimal sort of, uh, you know, uh, amount compared to where the producer, where you're really getting at the waste from the producer responsibility angle. So there was that. So I guess what <laughs> I, I'm all over the map here. I want to get back to climate action campaign affiliates saw what the lobbyists were saying about this mm -hmm. and if you were saying that uh, to the council it's incumbent of the council to have proof brought by those lobbyists that this was going to have an impact on their business there were i saw in that council meeting there were sweeping claims made about what it would do without any data backing up their claims so i don't know if that was something climate action campaign was working on those two parties where the responsibility gets at a larger share of the waste and the claims that the this the beverage sector that's what we're going to call them the beverage and the supplier sector were the plastic industry the, plastic well the, in, yeah and the the local the businesses that that they did not provide any kind of evidence at all how it would affect their business right so what parts of I that mean, was climate action campaign involved with 
Well, our theory of change is first we build community will, and then we build political will, and then we win. So we always work on mobilizing the public um, around these issues. And so we did that, and a number of other organizations did that. And so the public support at the meeting was definitely um, favored the ban, um, favored reducing plastic waste. Um, but and, and there was a historic number of commenters. I think it was well over 100, um, and 75, I think, were in support of the ban. So, um, but the, the majority of the council decided to listen to the minority, um, the minority of speakers and the moneyed interest, basically. Money so frequently does win in politics. So, um, let's see, but to your question of how, how we address that, I mean, we can share the information. We, we armed the activists with information about what was proposed and, um, and then we let them know afterwards the disappointment of what had happened. And um, as long as we can stay in the fight, we stay in the conversation and um, keep asking for what we want, we have to persist. And uh, we will, you know, and that's how we've always seen eventually that we do win. Um, it, was, it was an exciting opportunity for Irvine to lead. Irvine claims to be a climate leader. Um, but this is another instance where we see they, it was big talk earlier in the year, last year, when the council directed staff to do all this work and put this report together as the staff spent a lot of time on it. And frankly, it's a waste of time for the council to behave that way, to pretend because they want to look like they're willing to do something um, really, really, you know. Oh, it turned important. out to be on nothing burgers. Well, we're, when we do events at the city, and I, I brought this up in some of the other recent interviews I've done with uh, local and sort of national partners in uh, in this effort. So uh, it was, it was but, but what I'm trying to get you to address, though, is isn't there a, a loop, a loop you're communicating with the council? You're lobbying them. I'm hearing you talking about building community, but are you not talking to municipal leaders with your position? Well, yeah, I mean, I do, but it's more, it's, they don't necessarily care what I think as much as they care what their various constituents in the city think. And they so, are, you're sending climate action affiliates to address the council in terms of leadership, because it's obvious that the lobbyists have been doing their sort of back channel, but is there a climate action back channel with engaging the council, city council of Irvine? Yeah, so we, we provide tools that make it easy for residents to email the council, and we did that with the with the plastics item, and then we provide a toolkit to enable folks to um, call into the meeting and and give a public comment um, and to participate on social media also. And what the plastics industry did was they spent a lot of money um, on this text campaign, I know. You, yeah, you I got some. That. It finally got, got to me. Text. Yeah. Yeah. But from what I heard from the council members was that they they were getting – you know, they, they appeared to be messages from no one in particular, but they were receiving them every 10 minutes, but it was like a computer-generated message. Um, so it lacked, um, you know, it lacked authenticity, shall we say. It was certainly not coming from voters, but they even, they put money having folks go door-to-door -door trying to scare people, telling them that they weren't going to be able to have, you know, water anymore. But no, we certainly we want everyone to have water. There are great alternatives. Irvine Unified School District provides boxed water now. I know because I see it. My kids bring it home from school sometimes. So we, there's no reason to pretend that we need the plastic in order to have water. I got um, that. I got that. I'm going to – I'm sorry to cut you off, but I just yeah. – I want to get at this our institutional arrangement. So And, and we do – we understand the, the specifics of that. It's the institutional interactions that I'm really concerned about. So the next item is the city charter amendment – and I'd like to ask you, is Climate Action Campaign involved with putting this charter amendment that will be on the March 5th, 2024, folks? That's nine weeks away. I'm going to remind everybody yeah. that. It's entering in every conversation I have. It's coming up. Yeah. And that yeah. uh, is the Climate Action Campaign involved with putting that on people's radar. And I I say that because I'm getting a little panicky every time I ask someone involved with that district mapping and the amendment process 
they're very casual about how they don't realize how much time they've put into this topic and that the public that will see it for the first time either in their voter pamphlet or on their primary ballot they're not going to they're going to be overwhelmed by the ballot in general and they may not even make it down to the bottom so is there a plan for that the climate action campaign has to get eyeballs on the down ballot to and to understand what that amendment's about we have not been engaged on the Irvine districting item. I know that is, I mean, Climate Action Campaign has not. Um, personally, I have been watching it closely. Um, but we, no, I mean, we engage on climate policy. So this is a matter of, it is a matter of good governance. I will say to reassure you, these items almost are almost always approved. Um, it's very, very rare to see one that is not. It's absolutely true also that it's, you know, will not be on the radar of a lot of people, but in general, it's very unusual for them not to pass. So it, it, we feel, you know, it's very likely that it will be approved, especially in Irvine, where um, we have a lot of really educated people in Irvine and um, the cities, you know, the statements in support, I have reviewed the ballot, um, the information that will be pro provided on the ballot and the statements it's supported by, you know, bipartisan folks on the council currently. So, you know, we haven't seen any opposition to it yet, but it'll be interesting. Well, there is an opposing happens. statement that's on there. So we that's been prepared right. by, it's a Newport attorney, and I, I can sort of, I know what those through lines are, but that's, that's you know, not, not for me to unpack here, but I just want to know if Climate Action Campaign, because that is, that does make, there's an elegant logic there, it does make, politics more local that is building your community is putting those districts down on the Irvine City Council map mm -hmm. it's been great to see a, a lot of community members really engaged on it and submitting maps and um, it's an important process and um, it was a bit disappointing though with the way the maps were ultimately drawn um, I know that some environmental justice groups were concerned that it disenfranchised um, the Asian-American population in particular, that there should have been more majority Asian districts. and uh, But the council, um, several members of the council said explicitly on the dais that they wanted to draw the maps to protect their incumbent seats. So um, that's what they decided to do at the expense of, of those communities. So um, not surprising, you know, similar to the plastics item, that that is sort of what is what they've done but i'll say that irvine is at a really unique and exciting moment in its history um i should say they're also expanding to seven council members um which is great news for democratic representation in irvine i'll say this as my taking off my climate action campaign hat and as my my candidate hat because i'm running for irvine okay City that's council. the next that's the remainder of this yes. time together we're okay. going to talk about and i'm gonna let me set this up here i <laughs> your own aspirations that the city council races are on the november 2024 ballot i wasn't this is not about i'm i want to look at while we're together in the remainder of this interview ian Crayson is the anatomy of moving from activist to candidate. And I got this. I didn't know it was going to happen when I first interviewed council member Kathleen Treseder. I interviewed her as a, a model science academic for a text that was published for junior, oh, oh I'm dating myself, my, for middle school girls to see examples mm. of women pursuing science careers. That's where I first met her. And then it turns out that I had a sort of a, a, a there was a process in her become her being an academic, becoming an activist, becoming a very engaged city council sort of activist, and then becoming a candidate and then becoming an incumbent. So uh, I'm wanting to have you break down because you've been an activist for quite some time now, a very involved one. And we see you, we see you. <laughs> At the city council meetings, you may be there two or three times at one meeting alone. So what brought you to transitioning from an activist role to wanting to hold an elected office? Well, it comes down to this opportunity 
um, because the city is transitioning to districts. Um, it's a very special opportunity and moment in history and also a moment of vulnerability for the city. Kathleen, Council Member Treceder, has led on a lot of great things, um, including the Orange County Power Authority reform, um, creating sustainability commission, building electrification, the plastics, you know, a lot of climate policy. But with us going to seven seats on the dais, if she does not have allies there, then we will go back to getting nothing done. You know, it's scary to think about it. So I, I mean, I'm an activist. I've become an activist. I became an activist because I want a better world for my children. Um, I want a better world for all the children. I um, I'm very committed to, um, you know, trying to help reduce human suffering where I can. It's the purpose of my life. Um, and I think that Irvine needs leaders who are going to provide a check on the powerful and well-funded corporate interests in our city. And we need leaders who are willing to focus on Irvine families and small businesses and addressing the real issues in our city, uh, the cost of living, providing safe transportation options, and um, allowing, creating a place where small businesses can, can succeed. So, so that, is, that is what has brought me to it. Also, the, just the fact that um, with the way the district map was drawn, um, if indeed they are approved, which again, I think they will be, the fourth district um, includes Turtle Rock, Quail Hill, Oak Creek, the Spectrum area and everything in between. Um, that's my district. I lived in Quail Hill for almost 20 years now. Um, and it's also where Mike Carroll uh, is, lives in Turtle Rock, and he will also be running from the 4th District, presumably. So um, he has, he's a very problematic Republican. He has been creating a lot of issues for the council and, and for the city for a long time. He was, again, chair of the Orange County Power Authority when they made all those very problematic decisions, took it to the brink of destruction. Um, and then tried to put it all the way through the brink of destruction when, when he realized and other nefarious actors in the county realized that they could not use it for their own interests. So, um, so yeah, so that is very motivating for me, the opportunity to relieve the city of the burden of Mike Carroll um, and instead, you know, focus on creating a more sustainable and a safer Irvine for families and um, focusing our resources on actions that benefit families and, you know, really improve our quality of life. And I have a track record of doing that and making change that brings lasting benefits to our community. So um, I came to it reluctantly. Honestly, I, I was not ever planning on running for office at all. I was perfectly happy, and I am perfectly happy, and I intend to stay at Climate Action Campaign. But it is just an, you know, an opportunity I couldn't pass up. To, so to help take the city in the right direction. So District 4, though, may not be a district on November 2024's ballot. It may be in 2026, correct? No, uh, District 4 will be up for election in this November. Okay. In and addition to District 2, District 3, and District 1. See, and what, yeah, I knew 1 and 2 were there, but um, so that's that's the sort of literacy, and you can see mine is lacking. I had some districts, but not all of them figured out which would be running were the charter amendment to be approved in March, these running then in November. So, okay, so that's up. That's an immediate this November situation. So yeah. are you, um, I mean, I know from the incumbent now, uh, Council Member Tresseter, there were various preparations. They're, uh, you know, putting a campaign crew together there's boot camp there's you know election electioneer school but are you already starting those kinds of things and when when is this announcement official i mean you're saying it on community radio but when was it official is it will it be official yeah i announced at the uh democrats of greater irvine it's the irvine dem club meeting on december i think it was december 4th and my campaign opened um, well, yeah, my campaign opened that day, December 4th. So you're technically running as soon as you submit the paperwork to, um, to the city and to the, you know, the election commission or whatever. So, so that's when my campaign officially opened. And so I'm having my campaign kickoff on January 21st. And, um, so invite everyone to check out my website. It's I'm the number four Irvine.com, A-Y-N for Irvine.com. 
So folks can find the details there or follow me on social media. Well, it's official yeah. now. I have to do the federal required form then. This is enough of a, a, a campaign sort of pitching going on that I, I thought I could, uh, <laughs> it'll just be submitted retrospectively. So that I, I can live with that one. So, uh, so you're, and you've already told us what kinds of, you know, uh, what issues you're running on. Now, I guess what, I'm going to ask it again and ask anew. Uh, the hardest question that I never get an answer from. So this is this is the prompt you're getting. Is the, the pressure and you? you no have, one ever answers it. Okay. No one ever answers it. Is and I ask local candidates, how is your campaign making sure people participate down ballot? So how I've already asked you what climate action campaign may be doing to get people uh, to vote down ballot in the primary to get the charter city charter amended but what will you be doing are you doing as a candidate to get people active down ballot by november 5th well i am i'm running a grassroots campaign and i have to say even though i work for climate action campaigns as a nonprofit, my my campaign is completely separate and i you know have i do them on completely separate times completely different hats on but um, as a candidate, I am I'm running a grassroots campaign, and I am just focused on getting out there and meeting the voters. Um, the good news is that there are a lot of people in the 4th District who care about, you know, the issues that I'm going to be talking about, about the cost of housing, about climate, about, you know, traffic violence and road safety and transportation. So um, I am one of the key things I'm going to be doing is having a lot of these I don't know, I'm calling them coffee chats, meetings um, in the community with with voters. Um, fortunately, because I do have such a strong rec track record and I know so many people in my community from my work on um, organic landscaping, which, you know, I, I helped pioneer in the city in 2015 and I helped numerous homeowners associations in the 4th District um, get those same policies in place to so that, you know, they weren't using toxic cancer-causing chemicals in their communities on a regular basis. So I know a lot of people from that. I know a lot of folks from my climate work and my work on winning a bus for the first time ever for University High School. So it's been really moving um, and humbling the enthusiasm that I have encountered from neighbors and friends and just people who I've never even met. Some of them are just know me on social media who are really eager to send in money to my campaign and really excited to support me. And so I think that I'm going to have a great, um, I, I already do have a great team of folks who are working um, to get everything in place. And at this point, um, there's a lot of fundraising that needs to happen. Um, but I am, and I'm working on the early endorsements. I'm excited. I do have the support of Assemblymember Cotty Petrie Norris, who has uh, said she'll support me. And then, of course, Councilmember Treceder, um, Councilmember Kim from the Irvine Council, um, Irvine, or Laguna Beach Mayor Sue Kemp. Um, Laguna Beach Council Member Runagi and several um, Costa Mesa Council members, and then a lot of neighbors and other community leaders who are who agreed to support me and are excited to to be part of my campaign. So, so yeah, I really want people to know, and people do understand these the issues the city decides on impact people very personally. Whether you can get your child to school um, on a bus or whether you have to spend an hour of your of you know, your day every day driving to school and back makes a huge difference in your life. And so because I helped win that change for, you know, most of the South, Southeast Irvine communities, um, it's been really amazing the, the appreciation that I have felt from people um, who just appreciate the, what that provides them in terms of economic opportunity. They're able to work more. Um, and they're able to invest in their health. They're able to go to, you know, go for a walk instead of the time they might have otherwise spent driving their kids back and forth to school. So these are really changes that improve the quality of people's lives. I mean, friends I know who have their whole, their children's whole, you know, upbringing has been spent. They can, they have that assurance. I can go to the park. My kids can roll in the grass. I'm not worried about the pesticides. You know, a lot of folks think about that a lot and are very careful to make sure all the food they buy is organic. And they're very relieved that they can um, they can use Irvine's parks and et cetera um, without fear that way. So so people know that I'm someone who 
has won many um, quality of life improving, you know, policies. And so they have confidence that I'm going to be able to do that on council. So I, you are an example then, and in your very campaign efforts, you are the embodiment of the how the city charter amendment would perform. You are zeroing in on District 4 alone. And so are you not bringing along the charter amendment with you? You're saying, I'm here because I'm campaigning in District 4, which would become a reality on the March 5th approval of a charter amendment. Do you, I mean, you must mention that in your encounters. Um, let's see. Well, we are still early in the campaign. I, as I'm doing outreach with people, I will definitely, you know, be encouraging folks to vote. But the truth is our democracy is very much at risk. So there is a great deal of attention on these elections these days. So I think there will be a lot of participation. Um, I, I am going to be doing some explainers and getting out information about the districting measure on the ballot in March is definitely on my plan to do that. Um, but it's more, you know, it's more than any one candidate can, can undertake to, to provide that education. The cities are also doing, you know, some, some outreach around it. Um, and so I imagine as we get closer to the election, there'll be more public conversation, more media coverage of it, but it's just barely gotten its ballot designation and it's all very early. People are not going to be thinking about it until, you know, for at least another month and a half, probably. Well, all right. Well, I I think that's a you're you're physically you're an embodiment of that change. So I I want to thank you for taking this program all the way through all of these paces of, of policies on the municipal level. Thank you so much for your time today, Ian. Thank you, Claudia. Have a good one. Thank you. My guest was Ian Creation. She is a climate action policy director, and you heard her here. December 4th, she declared running for a candidacy. We'll be right back after a real short one. I want to just close with a couple of quickies here for everybody. The KUCI training is coming up. I don't have the specific details for the date that classes will begin, but we will have an eight successive weeks course for those of you who want to take the training. Each session runs 60 to 90 minutes. Training at KUCI.org is where you can get details. I want to pitch. Everybody's heard enough from other stations ringing their tin cans, and I hope all you can show us the love, and you can donate at KUCI.org. You hear zero commercials. You've not had to endure fun drive pitches. No, no, this is just a mini pitch, so donate. KUCI.org's got the donate button. That's how you show you care and appreciate our craft. And I'll just send this reminder that the California primary, it's only nine weeks away. That's going to be the larger share of the programming from the end of this month to I do the Ask a Voter show on March 5th. And I want to thank everybody for listening. Talk with you next week. Happy New Year once again, all.